Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Human Reaction, your weekly source for independent commentary on cultural news and politics, where it's always our mission to arm you with the tools that you need to cut through media misdirection and resist the mono narrative. Today, we've got a very special guest in studio with myself and the usual suspect, David Rand. Manny Rodriguez, IT professional and digital privacy advocate and consultant. We're going to be talking about all the things that you need to know about your digital life, what you want companies and the government to know about you and what you want to conceal, how to do that. Uh, Manny, we're so glad to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your business and, and what you do. All right. Well, um, I've been a web developer for about 15, 20 years. Um, I'm a sysadmin, do that kind of work. And I got into this privacy stuff um, really right after January 6th and Parler was taken off the internet. Mm -hmm. um, that was a big shock because they were taken down so fast and in such a coordinated effort. It, it really looks like made me think like, what is going on here? Um, so yeah, I've been, I've been doing privacy stuff mostly for myself just to, just to like harden my own, my own setup, you know? And it's just kind of grown into me trying to spread the word and help others out. Yeah. And actually, so you, uh, you hosted a, uh, I would call it a presentation or a workshop at uh, the Cigar Lounge where we're both members. And uh, Bennett and I were, were both present for that. And I was really struck by how broad and deep this subject can go mm -hmm. and how totally unprepared I am in spite of the fact that I feel pretty technologically savvy and aware of some of these things. I had like a couple of the boxes checked, but there's like so much stuff that I think most people are probably totally not aware of. And so much that our viewers particularly can benefit from. Um, why don't we just start at the top? Like what is the, what's the, what are the top level points where, where we want to start thinking about digital privacy and anonymity? Well, you know, um, I think where I would start is just thinking about why is this important? You know, why should you care? Like technology is, is difficult enough. For most of us, we get our computers working the way we want. Or we, we buy something, some digital thing, it works. That's a victory in of itself, right? For sure. And then you add on top of that, okay, there's these privacy questions, you know, that adds a lot, they can add a lot of complexity. Um, so why should we care? And to a lot, for a lot of people, their first instinct is, well, I really have anything. I don't really have anything to hide, um, and that's where their mind goes, right? Mm -hmm. So right off the bat, I'd like to say, um, okay, you say that, but you still close the door when you go to the bathroom, right? <laughs> yeah. So right there, th th you do have something to hide, even if, or maybe not hide in like a particular meaning of that word, but. You know, there's things you don't want to show the world. Sure. Even if nobody's home, I right. still close the door behind me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And what if someone, what if I were to ask you, give me your phone and your, and your pen number for your phone, your code for your phone, and leave the room for about 20 minutes. I'm just going to suck everything on your phone down and then, you know, take a couple of days to, to sift through it. Hmm. Uh, that would, that would be pretty off-putting, wouldn't it? It would. Yeah. It would. So, um, but, but this is happening, like, right. Yeah. Kind of like underneath our, our noses. Regardless yeah. of whether or not we acknowledge it, uh, the, the the companies, you know, Apple or, or Google or whoever, like they are ingesting this data or, or have access to it, uh, regardless of whether or not we, we think we've cognizantly uh, given them permission. So if somebody were to be like, okay, cr crap, you're right. Like I need to think about this in a more real sense. Mm -hmm. uh, where, where, where do we start? I mean, because... We all have, we're walking around with phones in our pockets. They're, yeah. they're, they're kind of tracking us everywhere we go, aren't they? Yeah. 
Yeah, the first thing to realize off the top is that privacy is a journey. Um, all the things that I'd like to talk about today are difficult to implement in one fell swoop. And my goal is mainly to spread awareness because I feel like once you're aware of all the ways that we're being tracked, then maybe your behavior will change and your relationship to the technology in your life will change. And then it starts to become clearer just exactly what you may want to do to maybe I'll harden this area up here and maybe I don't care so much about this and you can make these decisions for yourself. Um, but before you can get to that point, you kind of have to know the landscape, you know, and right off the bat, the first thing I would say is that you have to realize that your personal information is just, it's extremely valuable. Um, there's a reason why when you like in windows, you fire up edge for the first time. And if you go to download Chrome, um, you get this huge banner saying, no, do not download yeah. Chrome. Edge is just fine. Yeah. <laughs> so why is that? You know, and the reason why that's the case is because Microsoft is basically saying like, please, no, we want your delicious information. Don't give it to Google. Mm -hmm. So either way it's being given up, but right there, you can just tell how much effort is put into just making sure that your data is funneled into one direction versus another, because it's inherently valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we probably don't think about that enough. Um, and we also don't think about the fact that, you know, things that we, we, we might put out on social media or things like that, that once they're out, like they're, they're pretty much out, aren't yep. they? Yeah. Like, there's hard no to get them back. back. There's no coming back. You can't call stuff back from the internet. Unless you're like super rich and famous and you got somebody at, at Google or Facebook who can like scrub it for you. Right. Right. Maybe, maybe that works on Wikipedia. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But that's about what it takes mm -hmm. is probably like control of the media itself. So mm -hmm. you can just silence a story, um, which is. I think part of the privacy equation for me too, just understanding that the tech companies, Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, um, these companies, they control a lot of our data. They process a lot of our data, but in and of themselves, they are not neutral, you know, especially after, you know, January 6th, when Parler got kicked off the internet, mm -hmm. you know, um, I think about that a lot because you can make a case that um, Facebook is a publishing platform. Sure. And there's all this stuff about Section 230, mm -hmm. about whether or not they should be allowed to curate content. Right? Yeah. Um, but Amazon, and specifically Amazon Web Services, which is a whole bunch of servers mm -hmm. that runs ha literally 50% of the internet, maybe even more, they're an infrastructure company. They're not a publisher. It's like the phone company cutting someone off. So it's, there's a qualitative difference there. For sure. Yeah. And so the fact that they were able to say, hey, we as a company decide unilaterally uh, mm -hmm. or, or perhaps in concert with some of these other tech companies that this platform, Parler, is, is unfit to be on the Internet because of what people are publishing of their own accord on it uh, and, and then just remove it. I mean, that's that's a, that was a pretty fundamental, like pivotal moment. Well, it's also Absolutely. it's also, it's, a, it's a bootlegger Baptist phenomena, too. Right. The, Explain that. Yeah, so the bootlegger is the person who benefits from prohibition. The Baptist is the person who's religiously for prohibition, right? Mm. It's an economics model. Sure. Mm. The In this case, um, January 6th was not planned on Parler. Mm -hmm. It was right. planned on Facebook Messenger. Mm. Yeah. Because <laughs> these are all boomers, right? <laughs> They're all yeah. on Facebook yeah, Messenger. That may, I didn't know that, actually, but yeah. that makes sense. So, so uh, do you ban Facebook at that point? Of course not. You, you know, you already have your... We know from the Twitter files, there's probably some analogous to the Facebook files where there's, you know, an uh, inter interface between the FBI, intelligence services, or the DOJ and Facebook and mm -hmm. Meta somewhere. Yeah. Um, so you don't need a censorship there. What you got to do is get rid of Parler because then it's an act, it's a symbolic act that appeases 
the Baptists, right, of the people who wanted revenge for January 6th. Sure. While, a, while, while doing something good that looks good to the bootlegger, in this case, Meta, that has a close relationship with the government to get rid of one of their comp- competitors. Mm-hmm. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and also, I mean, you, you've had not just platforms censored, but you've had individuals censored. I mean, most notably Alex Jones yeah. uh, and, and folks like him as well. Um, but he, he's obviously since come back to, right. to X since Elon Musk took over and did a poll and, you know, he was invited back on, but, but, you know, people, individuals aren't immune mm-hmm. from, uh, from censorship by some of these companies. In fact, uh, Kyle, our co-host who, uh, isn't here today, unfortunately, he, he kind of had his whole identity wiped off of a variety of different platforms. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the the timeline was for that. Everything from, you know, Twitter while they're doing their thing to Facebook to like Uber and like, um, what's the, the five-star service, like you search and you can like write reviews of restaurants Yelp. and stuff. Yelp. 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 Yes. You know, everything, all yeah. of that, all in one day. All in one day. All in one day. Yeah, you bring up Alex Jones. That was another case where you have a coordinated attempt, or not attempt, a coordinated strike on him, and he was taken down by all these platforms simultaneously, mm-hmm. right, which points to coordination. And that's where it, it freaks me out because these companies, they have so much control and so much presence in our lives. We trust them with so much of our data. And yet they are, they're political actors, you know, like if I go to Chipotle today and get a burrito, right? Maybe the owners of Chipotle have a political, they vote for whatever party, whatever they do, but they're, they're not trying to change the world to like, like have a certain political outcome, mm-hmm. right? I feel like the big tech companies are, and they have a lot of power to do that. So then we give them our personal data um, and yeah, that's, that's, it's not, not, not good. Yeah. You know, well, and it's not just the, like the information that they have about us our biographical information or whatever too. It's, it's our search history in the case of Google, right? Like they, uh, there was that weird story. You probably remember, um, of Amazon knowing that a woman was pregnant before she did and started advertising to her like diapers and bottles and and stuff peripheral to having a baby. And and she's like, this is weird. Why am I getting this stuff? And then she found out she was pregnant like a few weeks later. Yes. And this is all, you know, an algorithm of some kind figuring out, okay, she's purchasing (sighs) these things. Now other people who have done that behavior eventually ended up here. So we're going to just go ahead and get ahead of the train here and and start advertising these products. That's super weird. Yeah. And it's crazy that there isn't a human being behind that. That's an algorithm that they have, that Amazon has. Maybe many retail outlets have where they just look at purchasing patterns. And yeah, so the woman in question does not know she's pregnant. Um, And she's just buying things that many women right before they were pregnant purchased for whatever reason. The patterns pick up on this. And yeah, it's, it's freaky. It's freaky because imagine if that were applied and you take millions of people and billions of records of purchases, right? And then you figure out, or you have a computer just crunch the numbers and and figure out what those patterns are. Um, That could lead to some dark places. For sure. Well, and we also had another example of uh, something that happened last year, I think, where credit card companies started to uh, announce that they were going to start coding like firearms purchases with a certain identifier that would 
uh, call them out in some way to, I don't know, to the, to the feds or exactly what, what the significance there was, but they were going to start identifying people that were purchasing guns online or using a credit card at a, you know, a gun store or something like that. And so another way of them sort of just identifying, maybe not doing anything with the information at the moment, but just, just tagging and collecting and, and putting people into boxes where, where they can keep eyes on them. So yeah. the benefit of that is that <clears throat> currently, when you get your identity verified in the process of buying a firearm to the government, they're not supposed to keep that data, right? There's big controversy about whether or not they're keeping the data and all that kind of stuff over yeah. a very long time. So they can't build a registry of firearm owners, right? But because we have the current court, it's not a precedent, um, non-decision on whether or not the government can purchase data from you know private actors and therefore have the data of, of Americans and therefore get around all the church commission reforms that mm-hmm. were supposed to apply to the CIA and the FBI and the intelligence agencies in the 1970s. The way we get around it now is we purchase it from private companies and then mm-hmm. they get to hold it. So if you have, if you can purchase financial data, which is very common, right? Mm-hmm. Purchasing financial data is the model for a consumer model. So you know whether or not to advocate your balding cream to a guy who's bald, mm-hmm. right? I, I get those sometimes. Oh, do you? They still they haven't given up on me yet. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. so the uh, those kind of that so the so the theory is the reason why they did that. The reason why, for example, the ATF and the IRS and uh, dropped in on a uh, an outfit in Great Falls mm-hmm. and have done other activities where they've taken data is because they want to build a firearm registry right. without triggering a legal battle. So it's a way around. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring up firearms in particular, because in one of my talks, one of my slides is about a very particular thing. And that's people who post pictures of their guns on the, on the gram or Mm -hmm. on social media in general. And there was a news story. I think it was red state um, a couple years ago, but it became known that social media companies can do OCR on serial numbers in the photo of your of your weapon so if it's visible um they 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 take that and they they basically create an unofficial registry yeah of of whatever was posted of who owns what of wow. who owns what yeah. and of course it's not going to be perfect it's not going to be complete but it's something because yeah. the government can't do that but through their influence and I mean, it was it was so refreshing when the Twitter files came out, horrifying as it was. Oh, sure. But it just it just what everybody suspected the level of collusion between government and big tech. Um, yeah, like we knew this from 2013 when the Snowden revelations come at came out, um, and that was 10 years ago, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, it's it's it's, it's this, this collusion that um, is freaky, you know. Mm-hmm. And maybe some people will will say, well, yeah, well, you know. I'm not a criminal, you know, I have no issues with the government or with, I'm not, I'm not in trouble. I'm not a lawbreaker. And that's all fair to say, you know, I feel the same way. Um, but I like to just consider history and things that have happened in the past. Like what comes up for me is like the French revolution. Mm. Right. Um, and if you study it and I recommend uh, Mike Duncan's revolutions podcast on the French revolution, because it's like really short episodes that just kind of give you the play by play of what happened. It left me with my mouth hanging open because you have this, you know, this, this kingdom, you know, the French monarchy goes back several hundred years. They're running out of money. Um, then they eventually ran out of money. And then there was all this chaos because they ran out of money. Sounds familiar, right? It sure does. Yeah. And then the government got more and more radical. And then if you found yourself, on the side of the revolution now, maybe six months from now, the revolution had passed you by. Now you're not radical enough and now your head is on the block. Oh. Right? So you can feel safe and secure now, but who knows what's gonna happen 
10 years from now, five years from now, two years from now. Well, right? yeah. And I mean, you, you, you see this very thing happening today where something that, that a comic said eight years ago is, is called into question or even not, you know, a public figure individuals, you know, their whole histories can be combed now because it's all out there on social media for, uh, for whomever employers or otherwise to sort of scrape and determine oh, where you might have gone astray from today's narrative, but in the past, and then all of a sudden you're canceled. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's crazier. You just look at even our own recent history in America uh, and what's possible, right? Or across the border, look at the Canadian truckers, the situation yes. where they're getting unbanked. It yes. is not impossible in America. Let me tell you why. One company in Arizona controls almost all of the financial data that, we, that goes in and out or around the country. They just record it all and they put it in the database. Right. So that's a new story that came out last year. I remember that a, a we reported bank? on a couple times. No, it's just a nonprofit. Just some data. Oh. company. Yeah, probably. I, I'm going to guess probably owned by an intelligence service because they can do that. They can own businesses. Right. Right. So if you do it, you collect it through there, then you can, you know, give it as a as a uh, as a charitable contribution to anybody. Oh, if really? You're a oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Right. So they can just yeah. give your data to whatever organization. That yeah. They if it want. serves, and they have to justify themselves as like benefiting the public with what their services are. Yeah. Uh, but if you're doing that, and then you have this collection of data, and all your assets are wrapped up into the current in the existing financial system, and they decide to crack down, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to survive? And they've done this before in America during World War II. FDR decided to confiscate gold. Just yes. confiscate gold from the public. 1933. Yeah. Yep. Just said, now it's ours. You have yep. to give it, and we'll give you some money back. You're welcome. And if you were Japanese during that time frame, you found yourself in an internment camp. Yeah, well, that's also true. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so true. people yeah. forget about these these yep. these these historical events that have happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, let alone the stuff from like the other side of the Iron Curtain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I had a friend from the Czech Republic, and um, it never. I, it, it, she told me that when she came to America, everybody was so open, showing emotion so openly, and that was a surprise for her because over there even 30 years after communism is over, it's still ingrained in people there that you don't show emotion publicly Mm -hmm. because if you're outed for whatever reason as a dissident, the consequences are just too much. So everyone just puts a mask on, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And that whole apparatus was because of snitches and surveillance and on a level that's way less than what we're facing now. So I feel like as Americans, we're used to being able to say what we want and do what we want. And we don't really think about or consider that someone might be watching and it just, we just haven't suffered for it yet. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the consequences are different, right? The consequences yeah. for us now is that we might get shadow banned on Instagram for yes. calling out the Facebook CIA or the, why you gotta say it, man? You're supposed to say intelligence. The boys. alphabet boys. We need, yeah, we need some euphemism. Bennett, just put in a good word for us, okay? Thanks. Do my best. Manny, it's a running joke on this show that Bennett's our like in-house intelligence agent, and and he's like you know from Langley or whatever. So awesome. Maybe true, maybe not. So these consequences are relatively petty, but the the slow creep of tyranny is very slow and then very sudden. Yes, and you, you don't know when you're going to get there. I mean, there was a time frame when the internet was exclusively the place where just nerds go to, and everyday people weren't on there. I mean, when I was a kid, it was a place where I went to with my buddies and I would talk to everyday people. They didn't have any idea about internet culture what was going on. Now it's so pervasive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's much more incentive for the government to care, to get involved, and then to control the narrative. Yeah. yeah. So when they're, what, what you can do to protect your own private data disrupts their ability to try to control the narrative. 
right? Yeah, it totally. disrupts their ability to try to predict what you're going to do, try to see where things are going. Absolutely. And then the degree to which we bring a culture of privacy that says that privacy is for individuals, transparency is for government. The better mm-hmm. culture we enforce there, the more likely we're going to get a revival of the Fourth Amendment that says that government itself is supposed to be transparent to people and the lawmakers are supposed to make the law yep. and people are supposed to be private and the government's not supposed to spy on them. Absolutely. Use it or lose it. Yeah. In the interim, before you know, there is this more broad cultural revival of something like the Fourth Amendment, it's very clear to me, at least, that individuals need to just take back the right and responsibility, most importantly, to protect our own data and our own presence as it is broadcast digitally. So now that we've sufficiently, hopefully, made it clear to everyone why you should care and, and, and maybe even scared some people into thinking, okay, maybe actually I should focus on this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Where does where does privacy come in? How do people start the journey that is digital privacy and anonymity? That's a good question. Um, right off the top, I'd like to um, talk about a couple of concepts. You know, um, the first one is physical surveillance, physical monitoring versus. Uh, what I call digital monitoring, digital digital tracking. So physical tracking is, you know, in the movie where um, you've got a fugitive who's on the run and he's running through the woods and there's a guy with all the, the dogs chasing after him. Those dogs are like following his scent, mm-hmm. right? They're following something he's physically left behind. Um, so that's analogous to the phones that we carry in our pocket. They're constantly emitting radio frequency radiation energy that can be tracked. It's an actual physical thing that can be tracked and picked up with an antenna. Um, and there's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about about that. On the other side, there's digital tracking, which is just footprints of records and um, residue that we leave online that exists completely on computer servers. There's nothing physical about it, but it's just data that's collected. You go to some website, you're interested in some topic, whatever your list of YouTube videos is or your subscriptions on YouTube, that paints a picture of you that it only exists physically. Um, so I like to split those up because sometimes surveillance and tracking and the privacy steps you can take happens in that physical realm. Um, and sometimes it's digital things that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I bring up the, uh, the physical stuff first because not many people know that with a cell phone, its location can be, can be triangulated and is triangulated all the time. All you need is three towers, right? And that's simply a matter of the fact that that cell phone is radiating in each direction, um, a radio signal, right? And each tower is picking up that signal and also picking up how strong it is so the tower knows its distance to the to the to the, to the phone and you add two more and now you get a pretty accurate point of where it is um and this becomes extremely important on say to bring up january 6 again um there were a number of people whose cell phones picked up their location because of just this this process so they could have had a flip phone from the mid 2000s and it would have been the same hmm. um the location was inside the capitol building right so there we go, incontrovertible evidence that someone was there. And yeah. this happens all the time with law enforcement where some crime happens. And then the police will contact cell phone companies and say, give me a list of all the devices that were in this area. And they get that list and they start working it through and you better have an alibi at that point, you know? For sure. Um, so that's, that's one kind of conceptual distinction I'd like to make. Um, another one is... Uh, let me just look at my notes here. Yeah, digital quick. privacy. So, so just, security versus convenience, right? Yeah. Um, that's a really, really big deal because you can 
do all this work to really harden yourself, but it's not practical. Um, and you're going you're gonna to pay a price um, in terms of the challenge of you living with it every day. You know, like I was, I'm a big fan of the lock picking lawyer. I don't know if you guys ever watched that YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. It's literally just a lawyer who just picks locks, right? <laughs> and most of them he picks in like a minute. Mm. Um, and he brought on this freaking honker of a lock. It's like a 10 pound lock. Um, and it's awesome, right? But imagine trying to apply that. You can't, you, I mean, maybe there's one particular thing, like the shackle itself is like a, a, a centimeter thick. You can't put that on anything <laughs> and it's 10 pounds. Right. right. Um, so any, anytime you, you, you apply some privacy, um, mitigation in your life, there's going to be a cost. Sometimes you get stuff for free. Um, and I love those, but for the most part, you have to think like, what am I realistically willing to put up with mm-hmm. and what am I not willing to put up with? Yeah. Um, and then Think about compartmentalization of your life. Um, I think of it as green, yellow, and red. Green is stuff that's public. I don't care if that's, if that's open. I want it to be open. Like if you're a business owner, you want your business to be out in the world, right? For sure. Um, yellow stuff is more personal. Like I'm a gun owner, for example, but I don't like to advertise that to the world. Mm-hmm. Like if you get to know me, we talk about shooting, stuff like that. We can go, you know... It doesn't take long before that comes up with my friends, but I don't want the world to know that. So it's kind of in a gray area. Maybe not necessarily that I don't want the world to know that, but I'm not going to I'm not going to plaster that all over my identity, right. you know. Um, so it's kind of a personal thing. Yeah. Um, and then red is just stuff that it, if you really want to keep secret for whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, your social security number. Yeah. 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 yeah that's exactly. A, that's a red one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah. red one. Right. Yeah. And with um, no nefarious purpose other than, look, that's a very personal, private piece of information that could lead to identity theft if right. it gets out. And, yep. right. you know, nothing nothing weird about that. Yeah. Wanting to keep that secret. Yeah. Your bank yeah. account numbers, yeah. you know. Um, and if you are into nefarious stuff, then you already know what I'm talking about. Like, there's just stuff that you just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's clandestine, right? Um, and that's different for everybody. But I think it's worth thinking about in your own life. Okay, you know, what do I have that's in the yellow? What do I have that's in the red? Um, and if it's have stuff that's in the red, how, how protected is it? You know? If you are a small business owner looking for exponential growth, you have to connect with Adam Thune at Intellectual Patriots. He will revolutionize your business game and help you get to the next level. Adam can streamline your business practices and advertising strategies to improve your bottom line. His expertise in data engineering means he can build you the systems you need to collect and analyze market data. His mission is to provide you with invaluable insights to fuel your success. From grant writing and business proposals to digital systems integrations, even AI management, Intellectual Patriots is a one-stop shop for cutting-edge solutions. Don't wait another second. Visit intelpatriots.com to learn more. That's I-N-T-E-L patriots.com. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zesty Beverages. They're on a mission to un the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes Electric Peak Yerba Mate, postbiotic sodas, keto-friendly, ready-to-drink margaritas, and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. How do people think about that, uh, you know, in terms of the physical side of things you're talking about and then, and then the digital side of things? I mean, I, I assume that most of that compartmentalization exists 
in it, for most people in their in their internet life and in the digital side of things because physically speaking like there's not too many ways like if you wanted to if you wanted to go off the grid or, or whatever like you could you could turn off your phone yes. but can you be sure that the phone's off that's a great question um and it's a tough one to answer because it's something as simple as that so right off the bat if you pull out the battery the phone's off right but it's hard to pull out the battery well, like yeah i can't yeah. like take yeah. the battery out of my iphone right, right now probably right at least without some serious intervention yeah and there's some conspiracy theories around that um i guess in practice you could have a, a, a device to analyze your phone's you know rf emissions and to see to verify that it's actually off mm -hmm. but how many people have the ability to do that i don't know how to do that yeah I assume most people can't. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. What I mean, someone could make some money with a website where they just do that and test that. And Interesting. Like, hey, yeah. you got the new Samsung 22. When turn you turn it off. it off, the RMFs keeps on. Just so you know. New content for us. Interesting. Hey, <laughs> you got one of those detectors? We can start a new channel. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but there are there are devices out there, right? Like I mean, there's um, there are like the Faraday bags that we've seen advertised yes. pretty much everywhere. Um, those those work but i guess the question then becomes for that side of things and and i want to get to the the digital side of things which is probably more applicable to most people um do you just want to like drop off the grid all the time just as a matter of course or you know is is that in and of itself going to seem a little a little odd right i feel like most for most people it's just not feasible for them to drop off the grid um for any like significant amount of time yeah however there might be times when I want to go to a place and I just don't want a permanent record that I went to this place made because at present, that's what's happening, right? You have the cell phone on you and the cell phone company could pull up like a history of, of tel telephone towers that you pinged. And I don't know how long data like that is kept. I imagine it seems improbable that they would keep that stuff forever just because of sheer, sheer amount of data mm -hmm. that's being collected, but you don't know. Um, so let's just say, okay, I want to go to this place. And I just, I just don't want to, I don't want a permanent record of my going there being made. It's my secret fishing spot. Yes, I don't exactly. Want anyone to know about I don't it. Anyone to know about it. Yeah. <laughs> Every guy so, was just like strip club, strip club. And they always say like secret fishing spot. Oh, okay, like, yeah. Actually, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. he's right. He's right. <laughs> I was going to say yeah. Bohemian Grove. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, what do you do? Uh, option one, just leave your phone at home, right? Because um, it, it can't, follow you if you're not taking it with you. Yeah. Um, that may not be practical. So Faraday bags are a great option for, um, say if you're going to a protest and you're not sure what's gonna go down at that protest, mm -hmm. um, you could have your Farad you can have your phone in a Faraday bag in your car, powered off because if you're, the way Faraday f um, bags work is they, they absorb all the radio energy that the phone's putting out. So the phone's gonna think that it it's gets no signal and then it cranks up the power mm. to try to get to a signal mm -hmm. and then it's gonna burn its battery out. Mm. Um, so if you buy one, you definitely wanna turn turn that thing off, stick in the Faraday bag and then it's there and you're sure that it's not listening. Um, although I should say that some Faraday bags are lower quality and Faraday bags do wear out. So it's good to test them from time to time um, just by simply, like I like to play music on Bluetooth, drop the phone into the Faraday bag, close it, and my music better cut off. Yeah, yeah, you know? for sure. So question, uh, so yeah. if you're in airplane mode. Airplane mode, yes. Right, does that turn off the signal to the degree that instead of turning it all the way off, you just turn on airplane mode? The only reason I'm asking is because when I'm in the woods, right, mm -hmm. uh, I discovered that if I leave my phone just on, it's searching for a cell tower, it'll burn the battery, yep. and it'll die in a few days. But if I put on airplane mode, it lasts for a week. 
or more. Yeah. Uh, because it's not looking for the signal, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good physical evidence that that the phone is actually the cell phone radio or the cellular radio in the phone is being turned off and isn't transmitting, right? Because you're, you're noticing that your battery is preserved. Um, there, there are questions with some devices, like if I put it in airplane mode, is it actually in airplane mode? And it's got implications with like, well, if it's not actually in airplane mode, then what, doesn't the FAA care about that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, you know, right. It seems important. Like what's called airplane <laughs> mode for a reason. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, you're basically trusting at that point yes. that like the software is turning the radio transmitter off. Yes. Yes. But there, but for most phones, I imagine there's not like a physical switch right. where you're detaching the radio transmitter right. from the battery. Right. And right. then it becomes a matter of trust and a matter of what risk are you willing to take. Right. So if you have your phone in a Faraday bag and you're trusting that Faraday bag, but you're taking, you bought the bag, right? Mm -hmm. And presume, hopefully you tested it. So that's not a whole lot of trust. Um, if you put your phone in airplane mode, now you're trusting software, um, mm -hmm. which is, I think a little more trust for the most part. Like I think most, I'd be surprised if there was phones that don't pay it, that don't, um, that don't obey airplane mode. But at the same time, it's, I mean, just the stuff that's come out in the past several years, like it's hard to put anything past it at this point. You yeah. Know? Well, and everybody's had that experience where yes. you talk about something in front of your phone and then it appears in an ad the next day and you're like, I didn't search for that. Yeah. You know, whatever. And maybe, maybe not that, that, that may or may not happen yeah. on airplane mode or not, but yeah. Well, I was, I was out in the woods, no cell phone reception at all. Started talking about RX bars. Oh like, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Like way back, like yeah. when RX bars were pretty new. Yeah. And then I got home and saw it. Like one of the next, I was like, where'd that come from? Right? So like, how does is, that it, is, it, is it holding that data until it can get back and then sends it up? Like, is, yes, that, is that, or that like absolutely happens. How technical, uh, it, how sophisticated is the process that right. which it stores data and then uploads to where it can like handle that sort of disruption. Yeah. And of course that's more on a digital tracking side because yeah. now your, your signal isn't being tracked, mm -hmm. but like some data, digital data that you generated by your voice and it picked up now it's digital mm -hmm. and then it got shipped off to the mothership. You know, when you, you got on the internet again, which, which I mean, like there's two responses to that. It's like, yeah. how dare they? And I was also like, Hey, look, I can buy those now. And then yeah. like, it, was, it wasn't that bad. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I guess, I guess one of the things, correct me if I'm wrong here, but at least part of the stuff here is, most of the stuff is done in convenience from the company's point of view, but there are government actors and sometimes companies become political and they can be shitty. Right. Yep. Um, so it's like, it's like a both and sort of thing. Some mm -hmm. of this is convenience. Let me give you a, a I, I actually went through this back in 2000. I want to say 2014. I, I, I had deleted my Google. Right. And I was an nice. Android user. So I deleted it and I was like, I went through and I deleted everything and I restarted completely with a new Google identity for the first six months of that year was hell because they didn't know who I was. Every ad mm. I got was completely ridiculous and like mm. frustrating. And I was like, ah, and like I never noticed an ad before mm. until then, because all my ads were things that was like plausible, plausibly made sense. They were relevant. Yeah. yeah it actually made my life less convenient huh. and, and kind of annoying mm. until I kind of free figured out who I was. And now I'm getting bald cream treatment. <laughs> <laughs> well, people don't think about that. Like how, how actually, like if you, if you're looking at it from a, from a green perspective, right. Of like things you're not afraid to be, tracked for it's like it is actually kind of nice to have advertisements for things that are interesting to you because right. like mm -hmm. why not right mm -hmm. like oh oh they're advertising you know a, a 
element or a new right. fla- a new flavor of element so, to me. So, I like elements. Yeah. So, or oh, it's great. offensive. It's just like I don't need I don't need help in the bedroom. Screw you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like oh you're almost forty. You must be having impotency <laughs> yeah. problems. Like That's no, fair. I don't have that problem. That's fair. <laughs> inappropriate, <laughs> yeah. offensive, all the things. How dare you? Um, but yeah. you're going to. That's what they're, <laughs> Someday. That's what they're it's like the in. woman not knowing she was pregnant thing. Yeah. You're going to in a few weeks. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Yeah. He's looking up uh, He's looking up uh, supplements, liver supplements, and like eating bull testicles. How to prepare a bull testicle uh, on, the, on the grill. Like, hey, Rocky oh, Mountain Oysters, man. It's my culture. <laughs> but yeah, I can relate to that because when I find a product that I actually want that I didn't know I wanted that's the awesome thing when I'm mm-hmm. like I can't believe this exists this is awesome it's a good feeling it's a, yeah. it's a good thing and especially if you're drunk right you're yeah. like you're on Instagram it's 2am you're drunk you're like that is an amazing thing and you yeah. buy it and you wake yeah. up the next morning and be like what the fuck did I buy how did I do this yeah what's wrong with me get out of my <laughs> life you know my life too well <laughs> but yeah. it's totally true and like we don't see that, 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 that it's, it's both and right it's a yin and yang problem mm-hmm. there's benefits and then we what we see is a, is a is the leverage of those benefits into a slow creep of tyranny, mm-hmm. right? It's always the right. problem with government. Always the problem with you know the a monopoly on force is that right. there's a an underlying incentive of them for them always to take more. So how do you keep from going down the road to serfdom? It requires diligence and like and and an actual legal reform that protects people's digital rights and privacy and, right? a, and awareness. And I guess a big question I have for you, Manny, is you know we talk a lot about trust with this software. Like how is it that we can verify the trust that we have in software, right? Because a lot of it, we can't see behind the curtain. Right. Um, and that's, that's another um, conceptual distinction I'd like to make is between open source and closed source software. Um, closed source software is um, Microsoft Windows, Mac OS, iOS, um, QuickBooks. I mean, pretty much any paid for application, Photoshop, anything like that where um, there's a copyright on it and it's a proprietary piece of software that in order to take a look and see what's inside of iOS, you have to work for Apple. Like there's just no way around it. It's Mm -hmm. secret, right? Open source software is different. Open source software is published and available. The source code is published. So it's possible to go into the source code and actually see what it does. Um, and that adds a lot of transparency. It's not a perfect solution. Um, there's a fair number of corporations that really that open source software after the fact. Probably the best example is Doom because I don't know if you guys have seen videos of like Doom running on a printer or something. Yeah. Um, John Doom, Carmack, the video game? the video game, yeah. Yeah, the 1993 yeah. video game. Yeah. yeah, running on a printer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all it's a meme. It's like all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff that Doom runs on. Yeah. Um, and it was open source like back in the late 90s, and it's awesome because yeah. it, I mean, it, it made all its money and then they were like, all right, here we go. Community do what you will with it. Right. Fun. Um, so, and not, not many people have the skill to look at source code and analyze it. Mm-hmm. Right. But there are people out there that they get great pleasure from doing that. Um, so for me personally, it adds a lot of trust when a developer or an organization says, here's our source code. It's out in public. Um, it's just, you, how, how do you hide something? You can't hide anything in there for long. You can't hide back doors in there for long mm-hmm. if that's the case. Um, because there's a, a community of people who, like you said, get pleasure and, and fulfillment out of exploring this code, have the, the technical prowess to understand what they're looking at and, and would, you know, let people know, Hey, look, don't use this software. It's, it's compromised or they're, they're 
you know, sneaking in this thing or that thing. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're aware of it and they're going to communicate it to the public. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, it also leads to like interesting, um, projects that come out of something that's open sourced. I mean, it depends on this. It can get pretty technical with the license specifically that something is open sourced under. Um, but for the most part, if you open source something, the community can take it and build something off of it. And probably the biggest example of this is with Android. Hmm. Um, cause Android was developed by Google and it powers all of, you know, Basically, it's seen as a Google product, um, but Android is open source. The core of Android is open source. You can go on GitHub and look up the Android open source project and see Android. Now, it's not the same as the Android that comes on a Samsung phone, for example, because Samsung has taken that open source core of, of, of I'm sorry, Samsung has taken that open source core of Android and built um, Samsung Android. And then mm -hmm. that becomes a proprietary thing. Um, and again, the licensing gets complicated, but the cool thing is that um, there's some in the community that have taken the core of Android and developed a security-focused, privacy-focused version of Android um, that you can trust um, and you can put on your phone. And it buys you a lot. Um, the project I'm thinking of is called Graphene OS. And it's awesome mm. because it runs Android apps. Um, you can install it on a Pixel phone. So you get the benefit of a well-engineered, up-to-date phone. A lot of the privacy phones before then were severely compromised. So because the core of Android is open source, um, and you have to be careful as, as which version of Android you use, because in general, Android is not private at all. Hmm. Um, but still, projects like that exist. And it's the same with Google Chrome. Like, Google Chrome is seen as a Google product, and it is, but the core of Chrome is open source. So the guys at Brave took Google Chrome and built Brave, which is a privacy-focused privacy browser, which is awesome. Um, and indistinguishable from Chrome. Like, like you use it, you don't ever get the feeling that you're using some low-grade version of Chrome. Like you get a sense, a very familiar yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and the other benefits, too, is like especially with Android, um, you know, security... Um, issues come up and they need to be patched quickly. Um, that stuff is patched in the open source version of Android first and it kind of trickles down from there. So if you're running a Graphene OS phone, you benefit from all that work and mm -hmm. all, that, all that investment. Mm -hmm. um, and you still have a secure product that's just focused on security so we don't privacy. So, we, so obviously all of our Android guides, Android guides are like, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. What about iPhone and Apple? Because that's the, always the division. Yep. Right? I was going to ask. I'm, a, I'm yeah. a full Mac ecosystem guy. Are yep. you just saying I'm, uh, throw me to the wolves? <laughs> I'm done for? Yeah. Because I mean, Apple's been very public about how privacy focused they are. But, they are, but obviously, yeah. like you mentioned before, it's a closed ecosystem. So we can't know. You can't know. How, how good or bad is Apple in your view? Um, so I, I was also completely in the Apple ecosystem. I had an iPhone, I had an iPad, a Mac, the whole nine. Uh, they're great for development as a developer. Um, they're amazing development machines. Um, they're really high quality products and they keep their value really well. So there's a lot going for them. Um, my issue with Apple comes from, well, like for an example, just this December, um, there was a story that there was a government program where Apple and Google both, the Google part didn't surprise me, but the Apple part did, that they were spying on push notifications. Hmm. Um, push notifications have to go through, this is the way they work, they have to go through a centralized source. And since, you know, iOS and everything, everything on an iPhone goes through Apple, push notifications are also processed through Apple. 
Um, so the government was siphoning metadata and in some cases the contact contents of push notifications um, directed towards towards uh, iPhone users. And it's interesting, since then, Apple's come out and said, yeah, we're not gonna do that without a warrant or subpoena anymore. But it's now that it's out in the open, so they clearly yeah. took a hit, you know, in, yeah. their, in their reputation. Um, Which is the incentive you want, right? You want the yeah. incentive for people to be like, hey man, you told me this was secure and it's not, and so that there's some accountability. Yeah. But that's not, that's accountability after the fact, rather than like built-in accountability like open source. Right. That right. would be the distinction, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and trust, trust may be important to a certain number of people, but like you said, you know, you're sacrificing convenience for every step you take towards security. So, you know, for, for someone who maybe says, Oh, I, I didn't know that about Apple. I'm committed to my own privacy and security. And I want to transition towards something like, you know, graphene OS, like that's, there's kind of a long, a long pathway there, right? Like, what are you giving up by going to that, that Android point from something like, like the Apple ecosystem where everything works perfectly together. Right. Apple does a lot to make it painful to leave Apple products, which they is something do. that, yeah, they do. And it's something that philosophically I have a problem with. Um, I slowly, as I changed one of my devices out from Apple to something not Apple and just realized the degradation, right? And just everything else. Probably the best example I can give you is something as simple as a USB-C to like headphone jack adapter. Yeah. You know, that was the last thing I had that was Apple. <laughs> and I, I eventually had to throw it away because it was putting out half the volume of a normal one. Really? Yeah. On yeah. an Android on device? On an Android device. Yeah. So I'm like, why does, this is all the volume I get. And I look it up on the internet and it's the Apple ones. Really? They only put out half the volume. And maybe it's just Pixel phone. That's what I, that's what I tried it on. Hmm. Um, but you think that like, it's possible that Apple like engineered it to not work as well on an Android? It makes me wonder. Oh, Something as simple as a USB-C, <laughs> that piece of hardware, that $10 thing. Um, so yeah, if, if, you're, if it's, you're looking at, okay, I'm all invested in Apple stuff, now I'm gonna move out, that, that can be a painful process depending on how invested you are in. Um, and that's by design, absolutely. The whole yeah. green versus blue bubble thing, you know? Ah, uh, yep, yep. yep. I got all my yep. friends on Signal, um, which everybody gets blue bubbles on Signal, which is awesome. Yeah, um, that's, that's a, probably another rabbit hole to dive down is, yeah. is messaging and encryption and communications. I mean, yeah. how secure is an SMS message versus an iMessage versus Signal? Yeah, before we go there, I want yeah. to say one more thing about Android though. Sure. Um, and that's like, there's, uh, there's some Linux phones out there that are really compromised, like in terms of the apps that you can run. Like you're not gonna get Uber to run on a Linux phone. Android is on par with Apple in terms of app compatibility, in terms of um, just usability. Once, once you're past the, the Apple, just moving out of the Apple ecosystem. And what's cool about Graphene OS is that you get the benefit of Uber or um, Airbnb or your banking apps because of the way it's built. It has compartmentalization built into it. Um, so you could have a user profile that's completely de-Googled and there's no connection to anything in there. You have only free open source software and that profile. Then you create another profile on the same phone. It's like carrying two phones in one, hmm. right? And on that second profile, you could have all of your Gmail work stuff. Mm -hmm. And I use Google products for work because I have to, because that's what everybody uses, yeah. right? So it's really, really awesome to have them segmented and segregated so that when I need it, it's there, but when I shut it down, I can trust that there's this clean separation between them hmm. and they're not gonna 
it's it's not gonna the Google stuff isn't gonna invade. <laughs> that's that's how I think of it in my mind because yeah. it it really is that deep in standard Android. So yeah. what the Graphene OS guys have done is amazing in giving you like ninety nine percent of the of the uh, convenience of having a smartphone, but you can set it up in a very secure way and then switch back and forth. I like that, and and actually that that brings up another point that I remember from your presentation that that I sat in on. The, there's there's a major difference between accessing something via a native app and accessing something via a browser, for example, Facebook or whatever. Yeah. If if I go to Facebook via, say, Brave, and Brave has built-in protections for privacy and stuff like that, Facebook is sort of curtailed to the permissions that Brave allows it. Right. But when I install the Facebook app, right, and I and I click, I agree to all the user permissions and and that sort of the end user license agreement. Uh, you know, everyone recall the uh, the South Park episode, the human sentai pad, right? <laughs> Have that mental image. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I allow that to harvest all the data that I allow it to have and I allow it access to my microphone and my camera and all those things. It has like broad permissions to, to grab so much stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong, it's better to access some of those kind of apps from a browser. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, from a privacy standpoint, it is because... Um, mobile apps in general, they can request permissions or they can get permissions to the very core of your phone. Um, and that's something that with some apps, you can tell it, no, you can't have that permission. No, you can't have that permission. Yes, you can have that permission. And the, the app will play nice and accept it. But some apps, they just won't work. That They won't work if you do because our whole business model is based on of like, okay, it's free, but we're going to suck up your data. Like yeah. if you're not paying, you are the product kind of thing. For sure. Um, a website, however, yeah, it's, it's a website. So like you said, it's constrained to the browser. And there's a lot we can talk about about having privacy and security within the browser um, because a browser is almost like a computer in and of itself with how, how many apps um, can run. Probably the coolest one was someone like wrote Windows 95 that runs in a browser. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a sandbox and it can't get out into other parts of, of your phone. Um, so that's, that's something that I recommend is if at all possible, if you need Facebook, consider having Facebook using Facebook in the browser instead of using the app. And that buys you a fair amount of, of privacy right there. Yeah. Um, interestingly, when Instagram released threads, there's no website for it. You have to download the app. Wow. So in some cases, it's Wait, not an option. People use threads. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Hold on. I got, I got that one. Did totally drop off. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Had to use the sound stream deck at least once. Um, I think it's really interesting though, because to use Facebook or something like it in a browser, it's so inconvenient. Like, yes. Because you have to, it'll like log you out automatically. So you got to like enter your password and everything. And, you know, I forget all my passwords all the time. So I have to have an autofill password. You don't have a password manager? I do. I, do. Oh, okay. I, I just use Brave's native password manager. Oh, but, okay. Sweet. Um, what about the third party ones? Are those good or bad? You like mean password they, managers? Yeah, you have like Nord has one. There's like LastPass. There's a whole bunch of other ones that can exist where to be your password manager with the master password. And yeah. You get the convenience, but hopefully. I completely recommend password managers. I think they're great mm. because they allow you to generate um, really secure passwords without having to memorize them. Mm -hmm. And then you can have one secure master password and focus on that. But I would say pick a really good password. Make sure you trust it because you're yeah. literally trusting that thing with the keys of the kingdom. Um, I really like Bitwarden because Bitwarden is open source and um, their sync stuff works really well. And I just like open source stuff in general. That's kind of where I've gotten to. Mm. Um, 
Uh, I've heard good things about One Password. Uh, LastPass, they've had some they've had some issues. Yeah, you know, I'm not too familiar with it. Um, but the technical details, but I just remembered they got hacked. Yeah, they got hacked. Something like that happened. So it wasn't clear what, what exactly got released from my memory of it, but I know a lot of people freaked out when it happened. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It made me change my master password, which is a big deal. Cause Mm. like I recommend people when you come up with a password, like come up with a sentence, Yeah, you know, because it's long, like pick up a five word sentence. Yeah. That's a lot of letters. It's 25, 30 letters, but you can remember it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's almost like a seed phrase, but easier yes, to remember. Yes, exactly. Just yeah. like a seed phrase. Yeah. Yep. For the crypto nerds out there. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe put some letters and numbers and uh, exclamation points in there or something. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, jumping back to the messaging thing, because we kind of put a pin on that. For sure. Um, yeah. So most people, let's go back to like the iPhone, like blue bubbles versus green bubbles thing. So if you're on an iPhone, you get a green bubble coming in. Uh, that's an SMS text message. And that's a standard that goes back to either the early 90s or late 80s. And it basically uses the same technology that voice calls work on. Um, so it doesn't use the internet. Huh. And those are extremely insecure. They're out in the open. Um, they live on cell towers for, again, I'm not recalling the exact technical details right now. You could look this up, but they're not encrypted at all. And they're very insecure is the end of the story. So by using something like iMessage, um, WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger, you add a lot of security because those messages are being sent over the internet and they're encrypted. Um, the issue you have with those is that now you're under, you're in the world of whatever company owns it, right? Mm-hmm. Like Apple says that iMessage is end to end encrypted, and I'm sure it is end to end encrypted. Um, but I think they probably have the keys to unencrypt iMessages on their end. Um, if if they wanted to, they 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 would never they would say that they wouldn't do that, but. To have, a, to have the technical ability to do that. Well, they have to. Right. And I, I heard somewhere, and I don't want to go too much off on a tangent here, but I did hear somewhere that uh, someone said, like, the U.S. government, like the intelligence agencies, would not allow a private company to have an encryption that, that could not be broken or that they didn't have the keys to because from a national security standpoint, like there would always be a case for them to need to have access to that at some point. And so there's no way they would allow a private company to have technology that they could not in some way access i'm sure they tried you know um as far as see so much so much of this is is in the darkness right Right. like we don't know the conversations that take place between the government and apple deep down like there's a well-publicized case with the san bernardino shooters Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. famously apple said no you're not going to get their data even though they were criminals and murderers and all that Mm -hmm. um but there's other stuff like i don't know like it's 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 just with the prism and this push notifications thing and all the Twitter files thing. It's hard for me to put any real trust. And again, it's a sliding scale: security versus convenience. Right? If I'm talking to my friends to go hang out somewhere, yeah, it's totally fine and it works really well. And memojis and reaction gifs, or re- yeah, reaction gifs and all that stuff is awesome. It's fun. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. fun. But um, to kind of go down deeper into like this more secure. Uh, messaging op- options. Um, Signal is great because um, it's also end-to-end encrypted, and the organization behind it um, is a nonprofit. Number one, and number two, they exist for privacy. That's their that, that's their reason they're there. So they have a lot to lose if there was a scandal. Um, is Signal open source? It is. Okay. Yeah. Signal's so there's a- that like kind of gold standard thing about yeah. you can see if there was a backdoor potentially. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Huh. The issue with Signal is that Signal does not 
hide metadata. So um, if we're communicating on Signal, Signal knows our phone numbers, right? And that's actually public information on the Signal network. So it's known that me and you are having a conversation. It's just not known. What it's about. Um, yeah, what it's about. Kind of like a blockchain, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, sort of pseudonymous. addresses are talking about. Yeah. 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 But, but these days, and, and you talked about this too, like your phone number is as good as your social security number. Yes. Because um, it's linked to everything. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time you used your phone for like verification of some service? Like So many times. Like yeah. every two-factor authentication sends mm -hmm. me a text. Yep. Pretty much everywhere. And how long have you had your phone number? Since I was... 14 yeah right. <laughs> i've had mine for 15 years yeah yeah because it's time. a pain in the ass to change your phone number no one wants to deal with that yeah and especially since it's so portable it's so easy to move around so yeah your phone number is like basically your identity these days for sure yeah so going down even one level deeper than signal where metadata is not easily accessible um there's a tool called session another one called adamant and they're blockchain-based messengers um, with Adamant in particular, there's a particular coin, like a crypto coin that you buy and it ends up costing like a few hundredths of a cent to send a message. Hmm. Um, but that's how it pays for itself. That's and, cool. Yeah. And the cool thing about those two things is that there is no metadata available. It's completely obscure. Um, I'm really curious awesome. what, what blockchain it's on. Me too. <laughs> Do you don't know? I know. I know the adamant one is something called adamant. It's special oh, like, oh, it's for, its for that. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And with session, I, I'm not sure again, more much about the blockchain aspect of it. Um, but if you go to their site, if you look them up, you can just, it's, they've got some white papers, I'm sure for anyone who's interested in delving into the it. real nerd stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or cool. another way to look at it. Like if you really have a high, a high risk conversation that you need to have, those are the tools to look at because, um, they offer the most mm -hmm. at the cost of the most, um, convenience. Yeah. So, so you would say like for, for browser stuff, even phone or desktop, like Brave's pretty solid. I like that's Brave. What I, that's what I use. So yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Brave. They do good work. Um, these days I prefer Firefox browsers. Oh. Um, not necessarily for a privacy standpoint because I think, um, Brave offers, it's, it's, the Brave is really competitive in terms of the privacy features it offers. Um, but Google has a really large market share. Actually, Google Chrome has a really large market share over the internet. Um, I think they're like 70 or 80% of all browsers, something wow. in that range. Um, and recently Google was in the news because they were trying to push a technology where um, the browser would validate websites. So in order for... Um, and I might not get these details entirely right, but it was something like a, a version of DRM, digital rights management, that a website had to, um, it, it had to implement or apply or your browser wouldn't show you the page. Oh. And that was coming top down from Google. So hmm. um, Mozilla, I think it was called Web Integrity Protection or something like that. Um, Mozilla spoke out against it and they're kind of like the bulwark um, against that happening because 20% of the browser market is still a pretty big chunk. Sure. But you can see what would happen if it get to like 95, 98%. Mm. Then a website could conceivably say, we only support Chrome browsers. Wow. And then there's a whole nother level of censorship and mm -hmm. um, yeah, that we'd have to worry about. So, I mean, like decentralization and competition within the browser space is incredibly important. I mean, obviously, we've had a lot of consolidation with internet service providers and, and that layer of things. And that's another 
risk and consideration for every internet user to, to think about. Um, and the whole net neutrality conversation comes up then, which we don't need to go down that rabbit hole on yep. this show. We, I'm sure we have enough content to talk yep. about that we could do probably several episodes talking about all this stuff. But um, but Brave is pretty good. And, and, and is it the best one? Like, what's, what's the gold standard of browsers out there for you? Like, if somebody were to say, I want the best privacy-focused browser out there. I'm a big fan of LibreWolf. Um, LibreWolf is a version of Firefox, because Firefox is also open source. Um, the stock Firefox is pretty good. But um, the guys at LibreWolf took Firefox, built some more privacy stuff on top of it. And it's just all that much better, right? Um, the reason why I like Firefox also is because it has um, it has a feature called um, cookie containers. And I should explain what cookies are, because we, we see them all the time, right? You open some website and you see, yeah, do you accept that this huge, cookie? huge, annoying banner at the bottom of every web page. Yeah. Thanks, EU. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and cookies enable, for example, like you close your browser. You Say you're logged into Facebook. You close your browser, you turn your computer off, turn it back on, fire it up again, and you're still logged into Facebook, right? How does that work, even though you turn your computer off? Mm -hmm. Even if your battery dies, so you know like your circuits are like drained of electricity, right? But somehow it still knows that you're logged in. Yeah. Um, I like to compare it to like, you know, you go to a restaurant and it's counter service and you get a number, you go to your table and that number is there. It tells them where to bring your food. Mm -hmm. um, that's essentially what cookies are. It's a really big number um, that's stored on your computer. So when you go log in, your computer says, hey, Facebook, here's my cookie number. And, and Facebook's like, oh, I recognize you. Um, here's all your stuff that you like. Yeah, here's all your stuff that you like. So yeah. super useful because it's really nice to not have to log in um, after your computer restarts. Um, the downside, the dark side of it though, is that cookies can be used to track you because if you have that Facebook number on your computer or on your table, metaphorically speaking, and you go to some other website, that's a Facebook partner, which most businesses are because there's just too much money to like not be in that program. Then it sends information to Facebook also while you're on that site, even if that site is completely unrelated, um, to, to Facebook. And this is an advertising partnership, right? Where a website yes. will say, we're going to interface with Facebook, use their database of all your biographical information and the things that you like so that we can serve you ads that are relevant and then, you know, make money yeah. from Facebook on that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there's a commercial application, advertising application, but it's also, I mean, that technology can be applied to anything to, to just track what websites you go to. Um, so one really, uh, what I recommend people do is just to use, have a browser that's just for social media and only do social media stuff on that browser. So you're not worried about the cookie tracking, um, going to other parts of, of your digital life. Um, and that's probably the simplest thing you can do. Mm -hmm. And going back to the, the Firefox cookie profile containers, um, that's a feature where I can create a new tab. And in that tab, that then they're color coded too. So you can easily tell them, um, but within itself, it segments and separates blocks of cookies from each other. Um, so I can have like a Facebook um, container and I know it, I'm in the Facebook one because there's a big blue strip at the top of it. Mm -hmm. And then I don't have to switch browsers. It's just kind of built in. Sure. Um, so this would be for like yellow to red level things where you might not want the convenience of Facebook serving you relevant ads, um, right. but you would want the privacy of knowing something I do on this tab isn't visible to the website serving me this tab. So right. That exactly. would be another problem layer of uh, OAuth. 
Like, oh uh, yeah, yeah. Logging in using your Google yes. login or something like that because that that makes that tie. So if you use what's, OAuth, what's OAuth? Um, so maybe you, you you log into some site and it, you can put in a username and a password, but there's also a button that says log in with Apple, log in with Facebook. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So the way that works behind the scenes is exactly what I'm talking about, where. Um, the website is basically saying Facebook knows who you are. You're logged into Facebook. So let's use that identity to prove you are who you say you are to us. Um, yeah, that's a great example of like super, this technology at work. Super convenient because yeah. you just like click the button and you don't have to do a email yeah. authentication or any kind of that kind of stuff. It just kind of automatically yeah. you know, snaps in. Yeah, yeah, and making accounts is annoying. Every time I'm on yeah. some site and they're like, want to create an account with us or create an account to like view this content? I'm like, nope, not doing that. <laughs> or no. <Yep. laughs> yeah, right. So yeah, again, security versus convenience. Maybe for some things, like all my work stuff, I use OAuth for because it makes sense, yeah. right? And that's absolutely in the green, mm-hmm. you know? What about, okay, so there's two things, there's two things I want to make sure we get to. Um, what about VPNs? Everyone thinks like, okay, if I access the web via VPN, I'm going to be safe. Like, is that true? I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that's kind of like the privacy ticket for most that you hear about. Um, no, man, all I got to do is right click and go into yeah. privacy mode. Right, right. right. Yeah. Oh, incognito uh, mode. Incognito that's, browser. That's, that's that's what people think yeah. is actual security and privacy. Well, yeah. Let's start there first. What <laughs> the hell is incognito mode, and is that anything that's actual privacy at all? All incognito mode is is a mode where you're basically telling your browser, "Don't add this to the history." That's it. So, it, but but there was a lawsuit, wasn't there, that said that that it was still sending your information to the central server. Oh, it, yeah, it absolutely is. Because yeah. you get the same effect as just going to your, clearing your history. Mm. In fact, I think there was a browser that if you clear your history too many times, it'll actually tell you like, hey, you know incognito mode exists, right? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> hey, weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> just make this yeah. easy on yourself. <laughs> just make it exactly. <laughs> uh, but going back to the VPN thing, um, let me describe what a VPN is. Um, I like to use like a mob um, analogy, like if you're Tony Soprano, right? Um, you're not going to give orders directly to your guys, right? The way mob bosses, they always have a trusted person that they spread their orders to. Uh, you got your consigliere, mm-hmm. and you, you tell him what you want to spread out. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what a VPN is, where instead of all your traffic coming directly out of your internet connection, um, it goes to this trusted person or this trusted entity, and they send your traffic out. Mm. So it's hard to tell that it came from you. But the key word here is trusted. Because if, you, if you're now, now your VPN company, whoever that may be, has all the information, all your web history, everything, all your traffic. Um, so it's really important that they're trustworthy. How do you know if they're trustworthy? Well, right off the bat, I recommend that um, if you're gonna go with a VPN, definitely go with one that's not in um, the five eyes, which is a intelligence treaty, intelligence sharing treaty between, let's see if I get this right, uh, the United States, Great Britain, um, New Zealand, I think, Australia, I think, and there's one more. Canada. Canada, Canada thank you. Canada's the one we always forget. We <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I thought it was Israel, but I said that wrong. It's Canada. Yes. Yeah. 
and there's also a 14 eyes too which is a different different oh, thing shit. Yeah, yeah. 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 how many eyes we got here there's like a yeah. seven a nine and then a, yeah they keep just adding more countries like yeah, food right? allergens is so annoying anyway yeah all the big vpn companies have servers all over the world which is another benefit of vpns by the way um i can fire up my vpn say i want to connect to a server in germany and now all of a sudden like my search engine is in german because it thinks i'm in germany because i am in germany my connection is coming and originating from germany uh, which is can be really useful for and like it's serving you ads that assume that you're probably yeah, from germany totally <laughs> <laughs> totally it's but, actually it's actually very convenient when using der spiegel like the 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 when, oh. I, when i was doing all the research on the um, on the research on the Nord Stream pipeline in der spiegel i was having a bugger of a time getting through their website in america and then i switched the over to germany for it and it was way cleaner and it worked way better could I don't you know still view it in english yeah yeah i just oh. used the translator on uh brave to translate it cool yeah versus like the english version of the website was just not as good yeah so so your question around like the vpn company like let's use proton for example because they have yeah. like mail and they have a vpn and all sorts yeah. of stuff they're based in switzerland right they're based in switzerland which yep. has very robust laws around privacy and they're Yep. And know, they're known for that. Historically, like, yeah, known to be neutral, yeah. right? So because the company's based there, regardless of what where what country your your information is routed through as you're browsing, if a if a country were to try to uh, you know elicit your data from them, they would have a hard time doing that or a harder time doing that because yeah. Switzerland's not known to be very preferential to providing that information to governments that might want it. Actually, right? that's not true. Is it not? Yeah. Well, let me tell you why. Correct the record. This is the. This isn't to say. This isn't to undermine why you should go for security. This isn't to say that. Oh, just don't bother because it's all because the government is in charge anyways. But for fifty years, a Swiss company was the monopoly in the creation of uh, devices, manual devices to encrypt information. The CIA bought them within the first two years of operation. Damn it. Damn and we know this because the Washington Post released an article two year, a year ago basically exposing this. So 48 years ago, they yeah. bought them. The CIA did. I don't remember exactly what the dates are. I'm probably getting the dates but wrong. But basically from the their inception, beginning. when encryption became important, they bought them within the first couple of years of operation and then ran behind the scenes a backdoor program using the Swiss. So while you might say like the Swiss had the best laws domestically, mm -hmm. while you might say all these other things, and until we get the actual, we, we we're not going to get an actual free place unless we have intelligence community reform. We have to mm -hmm. place hard limits yeah. on their ability to surveil people in, in, the, in, the, in the recognition that in order to get freedom, we have to have a little bit of risk here. We have yep. to we put a cookie container trust. around the FBI. Yeah. <laughs> Keep <laughs> well, them in their box. CIA in this case. But yeah. Or that. yeah, and that's a totally fair point. Um, no company is going to go to jail for you. That's what it comes down to. Mm. Um, if the Swiss police knock, down, knock on Proton's door for whatever reason, they're going to give you up. Yeah. Um, if the CIA goes through a, a shell corporation to buy the Proton and then install back doors, you're never going to hear about it. Right. Yikes. Right. So is... But here's the plus side, right? The whole reason Proton exists is privacy. They don't right. have a business without it. Sure. So they have a financial incentive. Yep. I like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I also, there's another company called Molvad. They're out of Sweden. Um, the jurisdiction is not quite as good because I think Sweden is one of the 14 eyes. Hmm. Um, but what's cool about Molvad is that you can buy VPN time with, with crypto. Hmm. You can buy it with Monero, right? Which, which is, is a awesome. privacy coin. Yeah, which is a privacy coin. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... They literally, you go to Molvad and they give you like a 16, 24 digit number and that's all the information they have on you. Hmm. And this has been tested by fire because I think Molvad got raided hmm. at some point and um, 
they didn't get it. They didn't get anything because their servers are configured to like wipe their everything runs in memory. You know, so as soon as power mm. is cut to their servers, like, and maybe other VPNs company operates the same way, but mm. um, they just have a sterling reputation in the community for that reason. And Proton has a really high reputation as well. Mm. And it's like it being in the mob, like reputation is everything. You sure. know, especially when this is a product that you're literally your only reason you're using it is for privacy. So trust is everything. Yeah. Just confirming Sweden is part of 14 nice. So you're correct. Yep. It's a lot of eyeballs. I yep. like it. <laughs> Just think of a spider. Yeah. I don't like it. A hydra. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I want to also make sure we touch on uh, the, the home devices, right? The yes. internet of things thing where we all have these smart plugs and smart thermostats and, and an Alexa in the kitchen and your fridge is also on the internet. And what, Tell me about that. How secure or not secure is is that stuff, and what should people be thinking about regarding security and that? For the most part, they all spy on you. Sick. Yeah, <laughs> which <laughs> would surprise no one, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, specifically, like Amazon has had some scandals with Alexa, where um, people have been listened into on very intimate moments on their Alexa devices, and like MP3s passed around, you know, within Amazon. Oh. Yeah, crazy stuff like that. Um, but. M- more concerning to me is the fact that it's known that ring will share footage with law enforcement without a warrant right or without your permission or knowledge um is that unique to ring or i don't know i know ring has been in the news about that um but i would my assumption is that if it's not um if it's not end-to-end encrypted where they don't have the ability to decrypt your your content then yeah, like they can they can view it, right? And it's worth money. So then there's a financial incentive for the company to monetize your data in some way. Yeah. And how do you get around that? Are there companies that uh, allow you to interface in a more secure way with these sort of home devices? Yeah, I, um, I'm a big fan of a project called Home Assistant, which is, it's open source and it's self-hosted. Um, so what that means is all the data stays in your home because it's basically a... Um, an NVR, a network video recorder, or maybe a cl- closed circuit television would be another way to look at it. But um, it gives you a lot of the convenience where like my setup, I've got a bunch of Wi-Fi cameras um, and I actually bought Eufy, like Anchor Eufy Wi-Fi cameras. And the reason why I chose those cameras is because they um, they will publish like a video stream just on my network. And then I can tell my router to don't let these things on the internet. Mm. Um, and I think Anchor had a... They they were they had some some scandal for some reason. They they're also known as a more privacy friendly camera company. Um, but I'm thinking I don't even want it on the internet. You know, I just want the feed. I just want the hardware. I just want the camera, like the Wi-Fi connection and everything. And then you can set it up so you, you get most of the benefits. Like if someone is on my front door, I get a notification on my phone. Um, so same you, as you would on a ring or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Huh. The challenge is that it takes more work to set up because there's more moving parts and it's, you know, what ring sells is a box, a white box. You can unbox at home, plug everything and turn it on and it just works. Right. Mm-hmm. And also there's one significant downside to holding up all my data at home. And that's if my house got broken into and then the thieves, the first thing they did was like, they found my server and they took my data then because my data is all centralized at my house. Um, it's a different kind of risk, but, for me, the privacy benefits were worth that. 
Additionally, like how many people who break into homes are like, I'm here for the data. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. Or yeah. even know that yeah, like, right. I just a camera, like, okay, it's They'd a ring. sooner take the TV than yeah. like your, whatever this random little box is. Right. Yeah. They're just trying to get, get it in there and get out of it. Yeah. Well, this part is, uh, so many parts of this are like, they're, they're accessible enough where it's like these products exist. You can go and engage and, and do some digging and some research and figure them out and install them yourself. But a lot of this is probably over most people's heads, like mm-hmm. setting up a server at your home for your security camera system, which mm-hmm. I was thinking about putting a ring in here because you know, we've got a studio and I want to protect the things in here. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm certainly a little bit more wary now that we've had this conversation. So like, do you, can you, will you help me set up a security camera absolutely. system? <laughs> yeah, totally. He's offering totally. services folks. So do you do that for people? Ring. Yeah, absolutely. So tell, tell us about that. How, how can, if people wanted to like hire you to help them understand more about their privacy, the ecosystem around their life and how to best implement the stuff, what's that look like? Uh, first of all, the, the community around home assistant and a lot of these products uh, that I've talked about, they're awesome. And the reason why I was able to implement them is just because of other people that have done the work and run into the problems that I have. Um, so you go on Reddit and there's a whole home assistant subreddit with lots of people trying to do the same thing. So, um, if you're handy and you, you feel like delving in, like, don't be afraid to, um, but also like, I understand the value of just having someone come and set it up for you. So you can contact me at the, the avatar.org or my email address, which is privacy at the avatar.org. And yeah, you could, I'll just, I'll come out to your place of business and get you all set up and, we can have a conversation about your particular needs and what makes most sense for you because it, it really is, you know, something like ring. If you're in a commercial area, in a public area, that makes sense. There's no, I mean, do you really have a privacy concern if their location is already public? Right. You know, so it's worth having that discussion within yourself. Like wh- why do I want the privacy? Well, it might be the kind of situation where, yeah, my address is public and I want my customers to be able to find me, but mm-hmm you know, my security camera information. I don't, I don't want that to be uh, available to just anybody or, yeah. or, or everybody or however that works. So I, I want certain things to be private, but I want certain things to be public and, and you can help sort of parse out which things make the most sense. What if I'm just an individual though, and I'm not a business and I want to think about, you know, m- removing myself from the Apple ecosystem selectively, or like, do you have things for just the average person out there who might be looking to fine tune their, their privacy settings a little bit? Yeah. Probably the biggest thing I recommend is getting off of Google's ecosystem as much as possible. Things like Gmail, Google documents, they have a place. Um, but what I typically recommend is maybe you don't want to nuke your Google and switch over immediately to something else. Get a Proton account, you know, and use that for a while. See how you like it. See if you find a use case for it. Um, or maybe just, okay, yeah, I, just to back up a little bit, um, I, the way I think of it is you can increase your, your baseline privacy and security. And I think of that as, okay, you know, here's my house. I'm going to add a fence. I'm going to add some dogs, right? And I'm just going to beef things up that way, just from a baseline level. And the other way to look at it is I've got this really important thing I need to protect and I'm going to put that at the safe deposit box at the bank and I'm not concerned about anything else. So I could see either um, making sense depending on your use case. Um, So there's tools out there that are really good for that like vault um, use case. In other cases where you just kind of want to slowly increase your security to a higher level. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess that's the first question. 
you know, I would ask like, which are you more leaning towards? Right. Do you want to put up a fence or are you looking for a safe deposit box? Right. And that's something, something that uh, you can kind of help people understand yes. a little more clearly. It's like, what is going to be the most effective way for you to apply security in your life without giving up all the convenience necessarily or giving up the G suite for your, right. for your work. Right. But, but compartmentalizing and understanding which components of your life need to be a little bit safer and, and under a tighter lock and key. Right. And also understanding the pitfalls because a lot of people think, Oh yeah, I'll just go to Walmart and get a burner phone, you know, and that'll be <laughs> like my secure thing. Yeah. Which sounds awesome. Right. But in reality, burner phones are a terrible idea. And the reason why is because say you go to Walmart and you buy a phone, let's say you pay cash for it. Right. Um, you're still on Walmart security cameras. So there's a record made there. And then more importantly, as soon as you fire that phone up, if you fire it anywhere near your house or your car, or even your other phone, let's say you drive to the top of a mountain, but you bring your phone with you, right? Now there's a permanent record made of two cellular devices in this weird location. And then your burner phone is now useless because it's linked in close proximity to your normal phone. Yeah. So it just takes a lot of like discipline and care. Um, most people that, you know, like get busted, like hackers and stuff, the stories you read about almost always, they just make a mistake, you know, in their practices. Um, so it's important to just set things up in as clean a way as possible or just simplify things as possible. That's what's nice about the, the safe deposit box approach. You know, it's simple. Like you have this one thing you're trying to protect. Um, and then if you're looking at increasing your security, then having a good, a good feel for like what you're trying to accomplish with that yeah. and what you're trying to protect there. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, so much of this is so personal. So if, if this is a impossible question, mm-hmm. just tell me, but is there one thing you would say, like if you, if you, if you could do one thing to just improve your digital privacy, your anonymity for, for anyone who might be listening, our audience, like what would that one thing be? Probably to download brave or Libra wolf. Yeah. Download it to your phone too, because, um, especially on Android, um, unfortunately with iOS, um, any third party browser you download onto an iPhone still uses behind the scenes, like Apple's HTML rendering engine, which sounds technical, but basically what it really means is that there's only one browser available on iPhone and it's the iPhone browser. But on Android, like you can download Firefox, you can download Chrome and they're different browsers. Yeah. Brave and stuff. Yeah. And what's extra cool about you, cause you could, you could get an ad blocker on, um, that browser. But yeah, just getting a privacy browser, because so much of what we do on the internet these days is run through a browser. And these products have just so much privacy stuff built in that you don't have to think about um, that it's it's a, it's like the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. Well, what I, I just heard you say something kind of in passing, but because I'm an iPhone user, I heard it mm-hmm. loud and clear. You said, if I'm using Brave on an iPhone, I'm still basically using Apple's browser. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what the hell? I know. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying I need to ditch my iPhone. <laughs> it sucks. It really does. And there's a lot of consternation on the internet about this. Um, it's, it's basically like the, the browser, there's all this code around the browser itself, like the way it manages your bookmarks um, and all that stuff, right? But the core of how it renders a web page right? That code, that code, and also the core of how it processes like scripts on a site or something on an iPhone, that's, that's set and you can't change it. So, you know, Apple has a monopoly with, um, the app store, right? In order to get on the app store, Apple says yay or nay. So if I were to write a browser complete from scratch that doesn't use Apple's rendering engine, um, 
it won't get on the on the on the app store and they you won't can't allow it they won't allow it yeah so what you're saying is i need to switch to graphene os on an android yep can you help me with that absolutely all right well oh. i'll be calling you heck yeah <laughs> I can hear the pain in your voice right now. You're like, ah, ah. I'm going to throw all my Mac devices in a fire. Mostly because uh, somewhere Kyle's listening to this and he's just smiling. Dude, if he's Kyle just, were here, he's just I would. having a great time. I will never hear the like, end of this conversation from Kyle. Delicious. Oh, it's fucking terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't use graphene though, so I can't, I can't clean that much. Well, we're going to have to talk because I obviously need some help. I got Thanks you Thanks a lot. Really yeah, appreciate man. it. I second this. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, this has been a very illuminating conversation and in many ways, very terrifying and hopefully, uh, hopefully helpful for people at home as well. And if, uh, if you need Manny's services, uh, we will make sure to put his contact information in the show notes so you can reach out and have him, uh, guide you through the process. And you even, you'll, 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 you'll even install all the stuff on a graphene phone, right? And you can send yeah, it to somebody, absolutely. set it up for and him. And I'll, I'll include an hour of consultation too, because there's definitely a learning curve in with all this open source stuff. Like there's no manual that yeah. comes with, you know, you kind of out in the deep end yourself. So it's helpful to have someone to guide you through it. Yeah. Well, in today's political climate where you say one thing on the internet, you don't know if it's going to be, you know, uh, held against you the next day. Uh, it could be valuable for anybody to uh, to engage in just a little bit tighter security f and privacy for for everything we do. So, yeah. Manny, thanks so much, man, for yeah. uh, for terrifying the shit out of me and you know costing me thousands of dollars in Apple products. I really appreciate that. <laughs> sure, you yeah. can sell it. <laughs> we'll sell it. I'll sell it to Bennett. To be fair. Yeah, and I just want to throw something else out sure. there. You know, they say like the best time. Like, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. And was the best time to, the second best time to plant a tree right, right now. now. Yeah, like information has, uh, it, 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 it goes stale, right? Um, there's stuff that I wish I could wipe off the internet, like about me, but I can't. But all that stuff is really old. So um, I think it's important to not get um, overwhelmed because it's easy to get overwhelmed. Um, I've definitely been there, but it's a process, it's a journey, um, and it's worth doing. But don't, it's not worth freaking out about because you really can't do anything with that, you know? Right. So just, just move forward and try to forward, exactly. make better decisions. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you for ending on a positive note. I really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Cause yeah. Uh, yeah. Get me out of this doom spiral. <laughs> I'm in over here. Manny, <laughs> thanks so much, man. Really yeah, appreciate it. Thanks having for having me. Absolutely. It's been great being here. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to Human Reaction. Help us fight internet censorship by liking, commenting, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with your friends. To find us around the internet, visit linktree.com slash human reaction pod. And remember... I don't need help in the bedroom. Screw you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, you're almost 40. You must be having impotency yeah, problems. Like, no, fair. I don't have that problem. That's fair. Hide, Hide. Inappropriate, <laughs> yeah. offensive, all the things. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs>